0: I want to invite you this morning to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've got a couple other passages that we'll be looking at, but for the bulk of our time, we'll be in Ephesians 4. In fact, not just today, but next week as well. Um, We're going to be looking at, uh, we continue our series on the overcoming church, specifically this morning. The the title of this message is Equipped for Service, Equipped for Service. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a tool nut I like I like tools I like working on stuff um, I and when I'm not when I'm not actually working on stuff I'll admit this I'm on Pinterest any any guys willing to admit that you pin thank you thank you for staying with me I pin I'm a, I'm a Pinterest night I um and yeah, it's, it's fun. If you've not encountered Pinterest, it's, it's a blast. Because like if you look at my, if my, my Pinterest wall or whatever it's called, my, my feed, it's, uh, it's all about cars and, uh, and, and home decorating, um, <laughs> which is a good thing. It's a good thing. I love fixing stuff. And when I'm not fixing things, I'm, I'm usually reading about fixing things or, or I'm watching TV shows. I love HGTV. Love HGTV. One of my favorite shows is is a show uh, with a guy named uh, Homes. Homes on Homes. Ever watch Homes on Homes? Yeah. So he's this burly construction guy who who like goes into houses and he fix problems. and uh And he's just hilarious. And he finds all of these things. So so you know the show's premise is basically this. Uh, someone buys a house, discovers that uh, the house wasn't all it was chalked up to be, and so they call this guy in, and he comes in, and he goes through the house with a fine-tooth comb and finds everything that's wrong with the house. You know, and everything is bigger than life, larger than life, and he looks, opens cupboards, and he's like, what was the contractor thinking? And oh my goodness, right? And then they have to bring in their crew, and they fix everything, and they show you the before and after. I love it. I love watching that. I love learning, but there's... There's something to be learned in, in, in the midst of a show like that, is that there's a certain point where you have to call someone, right? There's a certain point where the skill level you have uh, is exceeded by the situation you're facing. Have you ever been there, right? Yeah. The rest of you are Awesome. usually usually it's like what's one of the main people that you're gonna call maybe in the middle of the night when ghostbusters. there's ghostbusters thank you Who, who's someone that you might have to call because you're like your skill level is exceeded your grandma? <laughs> youtube your grandma okay you guys are funny How? what if you're a... wow okay you guys are just tight knit i was thinking like the plumber right Come on, when the, when the drains are backing up and stuff is running through your house, you might, call, might look up YouTube. Some of you might be a little crazy like that, but for the most part, you're calling Mike Diamond, <laughs> right? I need help. This is over my head. Hopefully not literally. Um, mechanics. I, want to, I need my car fixed, and there's something, there's a clunking and a grinding and a weird sound coming out of my car, and I need someone to help me out. I'm going to call someone who's more uh, trained in, in being able to repair my car. Um, how about health-wise? Actually, I think this one's kind of funny, because it used to be you could just call the doctor. Now people go WebMD, right, and self-diagnose. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there, especially if you're a hypochondriac. Not a good idea. When when something's not right in your body, you call your insurance company to make sure that you're covered, right? No, you call you call your doctor, you go to urgent care because you can't do it. How about attorneys, right? You, there's times in life where you need an attorney, you need a lawyer to step in because you can't make sense of something. You're you know, maybe uh, walking through, how about a real estate uh, agent or a home uh, a mortgage broker, right? There's language in those documents, either as an attorney or as, as a realtor that you, they understand that you look at and you just go, I don't get it. And so you call a professional. You have to call someone. Well, here's the thing. This kind of thinking has made its way into the church. It's made its way into the church. And I'm not just talking about our church or the church in America, but I'm talking about the modern church. In fact, uh, if you go back... Uh, Even before the Reformation, when the church really got formalized and organized itself, when you had the the emergence of the the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church and and throughout church history, there was this process by which we found professionals to do the church stuff and then just had a bunch of people who showed up and received, right? And that has lingered till today, Where we find the church is more of a spectator sport and more of a, hey, I come and then you serve me. So we have pastors and we have teachers and we have bishops and we have popes who do all the work. And I'm just in a place where you do the ministry and I'm the recipient of that ministry. And can I tell you, biblically, we couldn't be further from the truth. That this was not God's intent this is not God's intent at all. Now, he has called those to be, uh, called some to be uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers, right? He's given these different shepherds. There's been different gifts that have been given, but for a particular reason. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is not some kind of hierarchy that God established that said some people do it better and some people, well, we just have to kind of deal with them. This is not the heart of God for the church. As we continue our conversation about the overcoming fellowship, um, we're at a point in this conversation as we've been going over these last few months talking about the kingdom of God, talking about how God wants us to overcome in our personal lives, in our homes, in, in the different circumstances of our lives, that he's given us everything we need to thrive As we've looked at the kind of church God's called us to be as a loving church. The prophetic witness of his love. To be the prophetic witness of his righteousness. To display his glory in the earth. Last week we talked about... Uh, advancing the kingdom through giving. We talked about tithing. It was a great conversation. I want to invite you, if you've, if you've missed any of these messages, they're available online. Go to newcommunityfs.com and listen to these and get them get caught up on some of these because it helps. They all build on each other. If you missed last week, take a listen to it. If you missed and you're like, oh, wow, I missed the tithing one, right, awesome. You should probably go listen to it. Um, <laughs> We had a great conversation about tithing, but it all brings us to this place. Now we have to do something with what we're learning. We have to do something with what we're receiving. This is a turning point for us as a church in the midst of this series, in this conversation. As we now engage with this question, what does it mean for me? What does this mean for me? How does this become real in my life see here's the thing if it's just up to a few people to do the work of the ministry we're in serious serious trouble there's 50,000 plus people who live in the city of Glendora it's a lot of people it's a lot of people population of the United States of America 319 million individuals a lot of people there are 7.3 billion people who live on this planet. And there's a lot of them who don't know God. A lot of them who do not know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If we're supposed to be the prophetic witness of His love and His righteousness, we've got work to do. And it's going to take more than just a few people to do it, it's going to take an army of people. It's going to take a bunch of people engaging with the gifts that God has given them to reach our community, community, to reach our nation, to reach the world. Just a few weeks ago, Joyce Butron was here telling us about, there was that one group of people that stuck in my heart. I know There might have been something that really stood out to you, but she talked about a group of people who, who've, who live in a refugee camp in the northern part of Thailand, right on the border, it's a refugee camp that's three-quarters of a mile wide and 20 miles long. And there are people who were, have, have now been born in that refugee camp and have never left. There are people without an identity, a people without a nation. Tens of thousands. In fact, I think she said it was over 100,000 people or something. And they just let the first pastor, the first person who's now able to travel into that refugee camp and share Jesus. There's work to do. There are people who need to hear about Jesus. We've been talking about this definition of the church. We can get that up on the screen. It says this. The church is a community of people called out, the ecclesia, the called out ones, from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so that they might turn to him and live so that they might turn to him and live this is what we're about in fact what i want us to do i want us to read this together out loud and i want you to read it in a way that 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 means something to you maybe there's a certain part of that that just kind of resonates with who you are where god is what god is doing in your life so would you read this with me but read it with some some passion Let let the let the spirit of god stir you up Ready? Go. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so that they might turn to him and live. Amen. It sounds a little like the passage of I, out of Isaiah, right? That he came and he revealed himself and he saved and now there's a proclaiming work that has to take place and we're called to do that work new community Foursquare church glendora california that we're called to be a community a faith community who live the gospel in such a way that people come to know god grow as disciples serve like jesus and go into all the world that others may know christ See, it's an outward focus. And the problem when we adopt that thinking of you've got to call a professional is now it's about me and it's an inward focus. And God says, that's not my intent. That's not what I've called. See, the overcoming church becomes a place. It is a place. It's designed to be a place where the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. The overcoming church is a place where the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. And, and any organization, Christian organization, church organization, religious organization, that says anything different to that is wrong. See, because when it comes about me just getting, getting my life blessed... Making sure that I'm taken care of. That I'm comfortable. That I'm deserving of this, that, and the other. God says, whoa, we're missing the point. Does he want to bless you? Absolutely. But the blessing comes after walking in obedience. Always. Can I say that again? The blessing comes after the walking in obedience. In fact, Scripture says that God desires our obedience over our sacrifice. And so many come to church. Well, we don't do the sacrificial system anymore. So, no, this is how sacrifice looks in the modern church. God, I have given you, I I go to church twice a week. I give up one morning and one night and I go and I actually serve. I set up chairs in my church. Look what I have done for you. Sacrifice, right. Right. And God's like, uh, I'm actually asking you to do like triple what you're currently doing. And you think that you're doing so well because you have just given of yourself. And I'm calling you to walk in obedience to a greater degree. Right? Oh. Because God has a plan to reach the world. And you are that plan. You are that plan jesus came and he started the work and he says now you go finish the work go into all the world and be my disciples and be and be my witnesses the overcoming church is a place where the people of god are equipped and prepared to do the work of god so you have to prepare to to receive there's work that happens before the work happens there's work that happens before the work happens. If you're going to build a house before you can start the work of building the house, there's a preparation work that has to happen, right? You've got to have a plan. You've got to make sure that it's signed off by the city. You've got to make sure you have a contractor. You've got to make sure you have the money in place to be able to pay for the, the work. Am I right? And before you ever break ground, there's work that has to happen, And God this morning, I believe, wants to communicate a message to us that's all about us preparing our hearts to receive what it is he has for us so we can do the work he's called us to. And so part of what the church is about is the preparation work for the work he's called us to do. Does that make sense? This is the work of preparing ourselves to receive the work before the work. You have to be ready. And so I want to invite you this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, receive this morning what god has prepare your own heart if you're distracted or you're thinking about something else just focus and say lord i want to receive all that you have for me so the ephesian church paul writes this letter to the ephesian church ephesus a little background here ephesus was an amazing city It was second only to the city of rome in that part of the world at that time with the known world um, ephesus was pretty awesome it was at the crossroads of 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 asia minor and it was this this trading post just a lot of people coming through the city of ephesus it was surrounded by two mountain ranges and and it was pretty spectacular and it was a huge tourist destination because you see the the temple of artemis or diana was in the city you've maybe seen the picture of the of the parthenon in in greece in athens and it's it's pretty amazing to look at i mean it's kind of falling apart, but, but what's left there is pretty incredible. Well, the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis, was three times bigger than the Parthenon. It was huge, and people came from all over by the thousands to come and worship. And, and what had happened in Ephesus is that the worship at this temple had become the primary business. There was a lot of trade that happened, but the primary business was people making money off of selling stuff to those who came. Basically, it was a tourist town, Right, And we're, we're, we're housing people, we're feeding people, and we're selling them little idols. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 19 and 20, the story of Paul engaging with this city and, and the things that he came up against. But it was a pretty amazing city. The church in Ephesus was one that um, sprung up out, prim, primarily out of the Gentile uh, population. It was a Gentile church because in Ephesus, G, uh, Paul was opposed by the, Jew, the Jews and by the synagogue in that city. They wanted nothing to do with him. And so he went and preached to the Gentiles. And so this church was established. And Paul writes this, this letter to the Ephesian church um, not to correct anything. Like in Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthian church and he's like, okay, guys, listen, there's some things you're doing and I just need to, I need to address it. In fact, there was a whole bunch of stuff they were doing. The Ephesian church was actually doing really well. And Paul had a dear place, a soft spot in his heart for the Ephesian church. He had spent three years there. He would spent three years with that church, and, uh, and he loved them, and he cared about them, and he loved the work that was taking place. So that's the, the frame for this passage that we're going to read. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 16. The, the words will be up on the screen for you. Um, so starting verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord... And one, a father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as, a, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who, he who descended in the very, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service or for the works of the ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. It's a bit of a mouthful. There's a lot packed into this passage, but it's an important passage. In fact, it's a critical passage for us to latch on to, grab a hold of and understand as we have this conversation about the overcoming church. The theme of the whole book of Ephesians, there's there's really one theme broken into two parts. The the word unity. Everyone say unity. Unity. Let's do that again for Andrew's sake. (laughs) I caught him off guard. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Unity. Unity. It's all about unity. The first part of the letter is about the unity that exists in the Godhead. That God is one. In fact, the first part of this passage, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One God. And he's united. There's no division. So the unity of the father, unity of the son, the unity of the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. And the second emphasis for Paul is the unity of the church. That it's all about this unity that we work Together, each one doing its part. And so he he's writing to the Ephesian church to encourage them to make sure that they keep doing these things. To paint a clear picture. He's fulfilling his role as an apostle, to teach them and shape them and direct them. There's some words that I want to point out here. The word calling, this calling you have received, just as you were called to one hope when you were called the word that we use for church ecclesia kaleo is the root word there the called out ones you have been called if you were a follower of jesus christ if you've put your faith in him you have been called you are the called out ones we've been talking about that for the the last few weeks just as you were called to one hope when you were called He then says, to each one of us, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This word apportioned, uh, in the Greek, it's the word metros. It's the word that we get metric from. And it's a measure. And the picture that Paul is painting here is that that each one of us receives a gifting from God that's not the same as the next person. It It was funny to be reading in John, the end of John, John chapter 21 and Jesus is having a conversation with Peter and says, listen, this is the thing I've called you to do. And Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, what business is it of yours what I do with him? Just take care of the thing I've called you to. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's good. Because we get into that, right? We're looking around like, what about him? Okay, Tom, but Lord, what about Tom? Look what Tom's got, and, Tom, and, and God goes, forget about Tom, focus on you. Can we get distracted by looking at the people around us sometimes? Yeah. All the time. It's, it's constant. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm just, I'm not like Francis Chan. And he's like, I know. God's, God's not surprised. But Lord, I want to, be. no, stop wanting to be like someone else. And be the person I've called you to be. What business is it of yours, what I want to do with them? Because you've received a calling and I've measured A grace to you. And it's your job to figure out what that is and what you're supposed to do with it. It's your job to figure out what that is and what you're supposed to do with it. It's your job to figure out what that is and what you're supposed to do with it. But thankfully, God has given you some help. That there's people that he wants to put in your life. To help you realize and find out what that is. And that's why he says. I've given some. To these, these five roles. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. The five fold ministry of the church. Why does that exist? Why do those roles exist? He doesn't say here so they can do the ministry and you can watch. Or they can do the ministry and you can be in a supporting role. Right? Right? What's the work of the fivefold ministry to equip the saints, you, for the work of the ministry? So there's this grace that's been apportioned to you, and God says it's your job to figure out what that is, but I'm going to bring some people alongside of you who are going to help you unpack that a little bit, help you, excuse me, navigate that so you can more quickly figure those things out so that you can find the help that you need to start doing the things that God's called you to do. This is why we exist in this form. So that we can be equipped. Why? Because the overcoming church is a place where the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. And so this doesn't become, well, I'm the pastor, so I'm better than you. Actually, Jesus says you're the pastor. That means you get to serve this body. And it is no small thing. Can I tell you? It is no small thing to be called to be a pastor. To be an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet, or a teacher. In fact, God says in his word that if you are one that teaches the word of God to others, that you will be held to a higher account. That makes me a little nervous. That makes me a little nervous. We used to serve on staff with uh, Dr. Paul Risser uh, who is at one time was the president of four, the Foursquare Church. And he's both the, the most gentle man I know and the gruffest man I know. He's both. And those of you who know him know that. And his statement to any young person who felt called to the ministry was this, if there's anything else you would rather do, go do that instead. If there's anything else you would rather do than be in vocational ministry, if you have not heard the call of God to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, go do the other thing. Because there's an accounting that has to be given because God takes seriously the equipping of his church. It's a big deal. But at the end of the day, the responsibility of you being equipped is really your responsibility. My responsibility before the Lord is to come alongside of you and say, okay, how can I help you? How can I shepherd you? How can I speak life into your life? But it's not a passive role. And I hear this, I've heard this my whole life. I've grown up in church. I hear the statement, well, I liked, I was going to that church, but I really wasn't being fed. This is not a hometown buffet. <laughs> Am I right? This is not the hometown buffet, and you're not going to get spoon-fed. Now, we will serve up some steak, and you got to bust out that knife and fork and chew on it a little bit. That's right. Amen. Come on, (laughs) Sizzler. Sizzler. No. (laughs) We, we're like that steakhouse in Texas, right? Where you, never mind. We're going to get distracted. (laughs) All right. So what is God saying? What are we supposed to be about? There's another word. There's a word equipped. In the Greek, in the Greek, I'm going to throw out some Greek for you today. Kartatismos, the word equipped. Kartatismos. It means a complete furnishing or equipping. A complete furnishing or equipping. Comes from the root word kartatizo. And it's one word that has three meanings. Those three meanings are this. Mend, equip, and restore, mend equip, and restore. I love Paul he is a master communicator. when you read the vocabulary the way that he wrote, oh, it's amazing in fact up in in verse seven he says, each one of you uh, each one of us has uh, by but to each one of us grace has been given to uh, as as Christ apportioned it. Sorry, I can't get those words out. This, this idea that he has given it, the word in the Greek, the way that he wrote it, is called an aorist imperative. Aorist imperative. And basically what it means is he's making a statement of something that's already taken place. So when he says it's been given to you, it's not like it will be given to you. It's already been done. Remember Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11, I know the plans I have for you. He says, I already have those things and they're already yours. Lay hold of them. Okay, so Paul is a master communicator. He uses this word, cartetizo, cartetismos, on purpose. The word mend, that the church is supposed to be a place where we're mended. The idea is this it's a repairing that takes place. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, says this, and going from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and went and followed him. Mending their nets. You see, the nets needed to be constantly mended because they didn't have in those days the the high-tech materials, the nylon and the polyesters that we have. So their nets were kind of crude. They were more like ropes and, and, and sisal that had been tied together. And when they would get in the water, they would get weak and they would break. And so they were constantly mending their nets. They'd go fishing, come back. You spend as much time mending your nets as you did in the water fishing. But here's the thing. It was a critical deal because broken nets meant lost fish. Broken nets meant lost fish. And so they had to mend and repair their nets. Jesus says of the church that it's a place where people are mended. When he says that you're supposed to be equipped, it's not like he just shows up and says, hey, here's some tools, figure out how to use it. It's a very personal thing where he's saying, I want to do a mending work in your life. I want to bring repair And order and structure into the places of your life that need it. Because when we're broken. When the church is broken. What happens? Lost fish. Because Jesus says you will be fishers of men. Oh it's so good. Let that sink in for a second. That we are the net. We are the church. We are the method. We are God's plan to reach the world. And when his people are broken, what happens? Lost fish. Lost souls. Lost opportunities. Missed opportunities. And so he says, I want to make sure you're mended. I want to make sure you're in the best condition possible so that when you're thrown out into the world, that you catch people. But there's a care that's communicated here as well, that God cares about you and he wants you to be whole. The illustration or the picture here that, that that Paul's using is that of a setting of a bone. Anyone ever broken a bone, broken an arm or a leg? I broke a, a wrist in two places when I was a kid and had to have surgery and they had to set it. And I won't go into all the details because some people are grossed out by that, but it was painful. I've, I've never had anything hurt as badly as that did. And so they do x-rays, right? You break a bone and they go in and they do x-rays because they want how to know how to set the bone. They need to set it in place before they cast it so that it mends correctly. Otherwise, you end up with an arm that kind of... I had this youth pastor who broke his elbow diving off the roof of his house when he was a kid, thought he could fly. And now he could do like... He would do this thing and his arm would like go up like that. It was like crazy because it, it didn't get mended correctly. The picture of a bone being set, God saying there's things in your life that are broken and I want to set them so that they heal properly, so that you're fully equipped to do the things that I've called you to do. And we know this, things that are broken hurt. Breaking a bone hurts. And quite often the process of being mended hurts as well, Right? And God didn't say, hey, I want my church to be a place where all the perfect people go. The the world says that, and and there's churches who say that, but God's idea is this. Hey, I want the broken people to come, and I want the broken things in their lives to be set in such a way that they're made whole. That they're mended. The equipping of the saints is a mending work. The next thing is the word equip. Equip. So the next definition, same word, second meaning. It's the equipping of God's people. Uh, The definition would be this, a fitting out or outfitting. We used to live in Alaska and people would come to Alaska to hunt and to fish. They'd come to hunt and fish. And what was the, the thing that they would do? They would find a guide who would take them to get outfitted. Because most of the time, the equipment that, even for an experienced hunter or fisherman, with the equipment they would have for the lower 48, wouldn't cut it up in Alaska. And so they had to go to an outfitter who would do the work of making sure that they had everything they needed, that they were outfitted for the for the the, the terrain that they were going into. You make sure that they would uh, have all the equipment and all of the gear, whether hunting or fishing or hiking or whatever. Because in Alaska, the reality is if you go out into the woods, out into the wild, out into the bush, and you're not equipped correctly, what happens? You die. You don't come home. And can I tell you, it happens all the time. And all of the Alaskans are just like, really? Another person went out unprepared, unequipped, and it cost them their lives. Actually, they get a little frustrated about it because then usually they're sending people out to have to go rescue them. And so being outfitted correctly is so important. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Okay, who of you, when you read that, you think of Star Wars? Anyone? Right? Like your mind just goes straight to the Jedi, Right? The Padawan learner, excuse me for a second, I'm going to list. the Padawan learner is is a Jedi, but not. In fact, when they do the whole test to figure out if you're, right, if you're, they, you're a Jedi, but you're not a Jedi. And you become a Padawan and you're, or a youngling and you're a Jedi, but you're not a Jedi. And then you're a Padawan and you're a Jedi, but you're not a Jedi. But at some point, you get to cut off the little ponytail and you become a fully if you're not a star wars person forgive me it's a great analogy go watch the movie um or wait till december because there's another one coming and for that i get a cheer well all right (laughs) the student is not the master you are but you're not The student is not above his teacher, but anyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus says, live like me, walk like me, act like me, serve like me. Move in the power of the Holy Spirit like me. Jesus says, you're not greater than me, but you can be like me. And that's awesome. But we get in the way of that so often. See, because we get eager. And we go for it. God's like, no, you're not ready. Maybe leadership in your life, maybe in a church setting or in your home. God, you know, you need to wait. No, but I'm so excited. Wait. And some people will say, okay, you know what? I'm going to trust your leadership in my life. I'm going to submit myself to your leadership so I can learn. And usually that goes well. And then there's people who are like, you know what? I can't wait. Can't wait. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do this thing. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who are eager with the right desire, the right motives, and the right calling. Walk into destruction because they're not ready. Can I just encourage you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, don't rush the things of God in your life. Walk in obedience. Seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Because you can surround yourself with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear. And so often it's not the right thing. Don't rush. Then there are those who are arrogant. Who are like, hey, I got this. I got this. Well, let me show you. No. I don't need your help. I've got it. That attitude before the Lord, he says, no. That's pride, and I will humble the, pride, the, 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 the proud. I already know. I watched it on YouTube, right? Yeah. I already know. I watched it on YouTube. And then we see all the fail videos that come right after that. Yeah. This is about posturing yourself in a way to receive, right? When you're a kid and you're, you go to class, they're like, make sure you have your notebook and your pencil sharpened and all of the equipment that you need. Make sure you have your help. Be ready to learn. And so many believers kind of do this drive-through thing in church and then expect to grow as believers. I checked the box, I went to church, and God's like, no. now you showed up at a location, but you weren't ready to receive what I have for you. He wants to equip us, he wants to outfit us. And then finally this morning, to restore. To restore. Cartatizo means to restore. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. The picture here is to take something that was one way once and has lost its purpose and its meaning and its value and to restore it to what it was supposed to be. And can I tell you, a bulk of my ministry and my, my my years in vocational ministry has been ministering to not the lost who need Jesus. It's been ministering to the walking wounded in the church, to people who say, "You know what? I walk through this and I walk through that, and I'm hurt, and I'm just I love Jesus, and I'm just going to keep showing up at church." But God can't use me. God says the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry is to restore those who no longer see themselves as valuable, who consider themselves too far gone. I told you I'm a tool guy. My, my dream is to have a 1973 MGBGT. <laughs> but I don't want one, that, want one that's done. I want one that needs work. I want one that I can strip down, take it apart, polish it up, paint it, fix everything that needs to be fixed and restore it to what its original glory was and then just drive around in that British racing green car. Big smile on my face. Restoring something that had value and meaning and purpose and got lost along the way. That's what the church is about. So when you read Ephesians 4, maybe you've read that before and you're like the work of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to equip the saints. Well, no, not me. I'm not that person. I'm, I'm discounted. I'm out of that because of what I've done. And God says, no, I want to restore. I'm a restoring God and you're not done. You're not done. Can we stand together? commend, to equip, and to restore. I don't know where you're at today. Partly because those are cards that we play pretty close to our chest. For the most part, we don't want people to know. We battle, we wrestle along silently. We cry out on the inside. Whether it's shame or pride or whatever else we feel like well I can't say that out loud can I tell you my desire and more than that God's desire is that this place where you can be mended where you can be equipped and where you can be restored and however the spirit of God needs to intersect your life and to set those things back. Whatever is broken in your life, whatever is hurting in your life, that God says, I wanna bring those things back into a place of right alignment. But you need to be ready to receive what I have for you. And you need to be able to walk in submission to those leaders above you who wanna speak the wisdom of God. Can I just tell you, I don't have all the answers, but I wanna sit with you and pray with you and seek God's will for your life. It burns inside of me. I pray for you as a church. I pray for you as individuals that God would speak to you that you would find your way, find your purpose and do the things that he's called you to. Can I invite you this morning? Would you would you risk revealing your hand? Maybe you've been in a place where you've been hurt and you're like, I'm never trusting church leaders again. I get it. I get it. I've been there myself. God had to do a healing work in my life. But if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart this morning such a way that He wants to bring restoration, and you're hearing that voice, would you risk? I want to be available to you, our team, our staff, Megan and Tom and Deb. We want to be available to you and say, if you need to have a conversation, if you need to have a cup of coffee and explore what this means a little bit, we'd love to go there with you. Probably won't have all the answers and that's okay. But let's commit ourselves to the journey of being equipped. See, because the world we live in is desperate for Him and it's a season and it's a time where God's saying, I need every hand on deck. So let's get ready. Father God, Thank you that you mend and equip and restore. And that you are so committed to us and so love us that you don't want us to lack anything. That you want us to be fully equipped and fully prepared to do the work that you've called us to do. I pray for this church, for this body of believers. Lord, that we would have a global impact not because of how great we are, but because of how great you are. And Lord, that when we partner with you, we lock arms with you, amazing things happen. I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy that would say that you don't have what it takes, that there's too much water under the bridge, too many things that have happened. But you know who you are. Why would God use you? That you would silence that voice and that the same voice that Jesus heard when he came up out of the water would be the her, the voice we hear. This is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team